0: Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. We are so happy you are joining us today. We exist to reach the world for Jesus, one person at a time, and you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. Let's jump in. Hey, happy Easter, Real Life. It's good to be together, isn't it? Yes, you can grab your seat this morning. I am so glad that God got you in the room today. My name is Richie, lead pastor here. and believe with all my heart that God has a reason for each of you to be here. He wants to speak to you, make himself known to you. We want to invite you. As a church, we are filled with passion, urgency, a sense of desperation. Because we believe that our world, our city needs to know Jesus. With all our hearts, we believe that. are on a mission together to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. If you've never been here before, you're gonna you're gonna hear us talk about this all the time. We are so passionate about people knowing the love that's found in Jesus Christ. We would love for you to be a part of this church, of this mission with us. We would love for you to be connected and know what your purpose is and grow towards your potential in Christ. We want to help you walk towards that. So there's a card on your seat. It's a chance for all of us just to connect, to interact. If you have questions, you have things you need prayer about, we would love to connect with you uh, this week. Just put some info on there, write a prayer request, drop it in the box as you leave today. It's a chance for us to, to continue to grow and be on this mission together as Jesus Church. Well, I want to share the Easter story with you today, the story of Jesus' resurrection. I want to pray before we do. I just want to ask God to meet you in a very personal way as we spend this time looking at his words. So would you pray with me right now? Just invite God to be here, to make himself known to you. Lord, that is just our simple prayer. You seem far off at times, God, or our life seems too hectic to know you or to hear you. I pray, God, that this would be a moment of just slowing down, experiencing your power, your love, your grace, that your truth would come alive in each of our hearts, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you would be changing lives in these moments, Lord, that your spirit would be bringing conviction, bringing comfort and encouragement, healing, transformation, God. They're so good. In this moment together, God, is so special. We just ask that you would be here in a powerful, powerful way. We love you, Jesus, with all our hearts in your name. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. Man, I love Easter. I love this moment. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of remembering Jesus' life and the fact that he rose from the dead. It's always in spring. Isn't that so symbolic as as? Things are trying to come to life as, as our weather decides what it's doing out here, depressing snow. I just, I, I, uh, we're joking with our girls, like a white Christmas is awesome, white Easter, not so much. Let's uh, not do this anymore. But spring is like the hint of summer, isn't it? Like, oh, the good days, like the sunshine and the warmth, all of that. I love summer. My family has always loved summer. We have spent the last 15, 16 years camping all over this place, all the rivers and lakes, all the places that you would want to go and experience. We have done that so much as a family and loved every bit of it. For seven summers in a row, we had this amazing memory-making machine that we call the Monaco. This is a 1978 Dodge motorhome. I don't know if you can picture it, um, but it's got the bed over the cab. It's got the old van-looking front. It's got a 440 in it. If you're a motor kind of person, the thing absolutely was a beast. It averaged like four miles to the gallon. It was so cool. Uh, It it just cost a hundred bucks just to look at the gas tank, and uh, we 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 loved it though because uh, this thing 1978, like in the 70s, shag carpet was a thing, and so let's put it in our motorhomes as well. The whole thing shag carpet, even the walls had shag carpet. Uh, it made it really comfortable in there. They even put fake popcorn ceiling in this thing, like all seventies, everything you could do seventies. And, and we had so many great moments as a family. We were in so many, um, Perfect places, sunsets and gigantic fish that we caught at lakes, uh, thunderstorms, uh, lightning, dancing in the rain. Like my girls and my wife and I, like we have had so many amazing moments in this Monaco, but it had a massive downside. You never knew when this thing was going to decide to overheat. It just came with it. Like every time we were driving in it, the motor is kind of like right there next to your leg. And, and I mean, my sandals would often melt just from the heat coming off the motor. And this thing would just like decide to give it up halfway up a mountain pass in the middle of nowhere out in the woods. We have been stranded in so many places waiting for this thing to cool down. We just kind of started to plan on it. Like every year, where are we going to get stuck this year? It's going to be good. Uh, and a and, uh, side of I-90 was one of the more troubling moments on the top of a mountain pass. Um, we, we've been stranded downtown where our motorhome kind of fit in with a lot of other motorhomes. Uh, we, we've, been, we've been stranded in a, in a spot uh, close to our home where my, my, my two daughters who are 17 and 14 were literally hiding under the furniture, hoping none of their friends drove by saw us in this memory-making machine. And so, man, we, we uh, love it. But, but isn't that kind of like how it is? Like anything that you count on to, to have all this awesomeness come out of, maybe it's a relationship, it's a career for you, it's an amount of money, it's a, it's a, it's a marriage or a success of your kids, it's a plan that you've, you've planned for, it's a dream that you've dreamt. Life kind of tends to be that way. Whatever we tend to put our hope in has this dark side of disappointment. And and for many of us, we've tried a lot of different places to find hope. Tried a lot of different people. We've tried a lot of different relationships, careers, amounts of money. Isn't it just like our stupid economy, right? You just start making all the money you're making, and then everything costs four times what it used to cost. And life just tends to be this series of the rug getting pulled out from underneath us. Those disappointments, if we're not careful, lead to massive amount of disillusionment and eventually criticism and critique and and kind of frustration and angst. And for many of us, my heart, just as your pastor, just is like worried about us. Because I think the more disappointed we get, the, the less we get our hopes up the less we're willing to hope again and to keep dreaming and keep praying with vision and faith. And we find ourselves so disillusioned by so much disappointment that we just kind of shrink back into a place where we're really not believing for anything great in our lives, the people around us. We're not trusting God for anything great through us. Our lives just become kind of this this doldrum of just surviving. And I believe that Easter is a moment for us To look at where our hope is found and how tempting it is for us to try to find people or places or careers or amounts of money to put our hope in. But Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a moment that that centers our hearts and go, wait a second, this world was never designed to fulfill us. We are eternal beings. Your soul is going to live for forever. And you and I have an opportunity to evaluate. Am I putting my hope in eternal things or... Temporary things, temporary things that were never designed to bring about a hope that will last and that will satisfy this eternal soul that is inside of me. Jesus coming out of the grave at Easter gives us a picture of just how big our God is, just how loving he is, how strong he is, how much he is willing to do so that you understand a hope, a hope that will never disappoint you. And for you and I, this is a moment for us to allow Easter to become something personal. Not just a distant idea, a concept, a worship service, uh, uh, kind of a religious box that you check, but this is a moment for you to evaluate. Like, is Easter something like powerful for me? There's a guy in the Easter story that Easter was very, very personal for him. It's one of Jesus' 12 disciples. His name is Peter. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of this Easter story because I think that Peter becomes a picture of just how personal Easter is intended to be. Peter is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, 12 disciples that gave up everything to follow Jesus. They, they, they began to follow him every day, everywhere, learning, living like Jesus, having an attitude like Jesus, trying to mimic Jesus' life and ministry and, and become like Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is literally following him, being changed by him. And they were on mission with Jesus together. Well, they get to this moment that we know in the Easter story, if you're familiar with it at all, as Good Friday. This was just a couple of days ago. Good Friday is a moment where Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Passover is a tradition that the Jews held for hundreds of years, ever since they were rescued out of Egypt by God. And they would celebrate this festival year in and year out as a remembrance of God's salvation. Well, Jesus begins to change the festival, this meal that was so structured and routine. He began to actually insert himself into this story and saying this bread, it's actually my body, this cup, it's actually my blood. And Jesus is going, I am the salvation. I am the sacrifice that is going to pay for your sins. The disciples are kind of like not getting it. Like, I'm not sure what you're saying. And so Jesus begins to actually predict his death. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. You can imagine them all looking at each other like, which, which one of us? Is it you? I've always kind of suspected you. <laughs> he says, all of you are going to actually abandon me. Peter. If you don't know Peter, he's kind of the rambunctious one, the the outspoken one, always sticking up for Jesus, defending Jesus, even even rebuking Jesus at one point. Peter jumps into the middle of this kind of solemn moment. Jesus is predicting his death. Just get the weight of this. One of you is going to betray me. I I can imagine the air just being sucked out of the room in this moment. And Peter just jumps in. I would never, Lord, I would never abandon you. I would never leave you. I would even go with you to the, to the death, Lord. Peter's this kind of like vocal one, this outspoken one. And he's just like jumps right into it. And Jesus just looks at Peter. One of those moments of eye contact, of love, grace, understanding, almost like you're, you're cute, Peter. <laughs> but you're going to deny that you even know me three times before the rooster even crows in the morning. Judas gets up out of the the meal there and he, he heads out because he's been conspiring with the religious leaders, the ones who are trying to stop Jesus. These religious leaders are Jews. It doesn't really make sense. Jesus is a Jew. He's God himself. Wouldn't the Jews really want the one that God has promised and talked about for generations to come and rescue them? They do, but the Pharisees, these religious leaders had disconnected from the heart of God. God gave them a set of traditions and rules to follow to help them connect with God personally, spiritually. These routines and rituals helped them know God. But they had fallen so in love with the tradition that they forgot to know the God who gave them the tradition. And so these guys began to get frustrated as Jesus came on the scene, trying to reconnect people to the heart of God that they would know God personally, that they would experience God in their life. They would hear from God and they didn't like it because Jesus was undermining their traditions, their authority. He was undermining everything that they had kind of been controlling about the Jewish people. And he was trying to connect people directly to God. So they plot to kill him. They, They loop Judas, one of Jesus 12 in on this plot to kill Jesus, pay him some money. He sells Jesus out. He goes and gets this this Good Friday. He goes and gets these religious leaders and their guards. They bring them to Jesus. Jesus and his other disciples had just finished the, the dinner and they head out. And here comes Judas, betrays Jesus with a kiss. Peter's right there on the spot because the guards look to seize Jesus. And Peter, I don't know if you know him, he he was a fisherman before this moment. And so uh, he's just kind of like one of those guys that just is trying to figure it out, right? Whatever it takes, I told Jesus I would never abandon him. So now's my chance to really stand up again for Jesus. Grabs a sword as a guard tries to get Jesus and, and Peter takes a swing. Clearly, he is a fisherman because he has horrible aim. I don't even know what he was aiming at, but he gets the guy's ear and and, and, and lops it off and, and Jesus just reaches down almost looking at Peter like, "What bro are you doing? This is not how I work. heals the guy's ear on the spot and then gives him his wrist. Jesus is led away to this trial. All of the disciples run for their lives, they are scattered, and Peter follows at a distance. This is where the story starts to get very personal. Peter's trying to say, hey, I'd never fail you. I'd never leave you, Lord. And he's trying to trying to stay with Jesus, but he doesn't really want to get lumped in and get arrested as well. That wouldn't do Jesus any good. And so he stays at this distance. And there's a fire in the courtyard where Jesus is being tried. People begin to bring all these accusations, but some of the servants are standing around this fire and, and they're warming themselves around the fire. And so Peter joins them, kind of trying to blend in inconspicuously with the crowd. Well, one of the servant girls standing around the fire with Peter recognizes him. Hey, aren't you, aren't you Peter? Aren't you one of that guy's disciples that they're accusing of being a, a heretic and being a, a, a false teacher right now? Isn't, aren't you one of, one of his And Peter feels this sense of like, oh, no, like I can't be found out. I don't know exactly how his heart is, but he just reacts. He doesn't think, he just goes. He goes, no, 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 I don't know him. She's not convinced. No, I'm pretty sure I've seen you before. You've been with him before. No, I told you, I don't know this guy. You can imagine Peter as he's standing around the fire maybe trying to keep his face a little concealed in the shadows, but she's she's convinced she will not let this go. So she asks him a third time, no, I'm sure you're one of his disciples. And Peter calls down curses on himself from heaven. He says, I told you, I do not know him. In this moment, a rooster crows. Jesus looks across the courtyard, makes eye contact with Peter. Peter just breaks. Everything he swore he would never do, every promise he's ever tried to keep. Every bit of doubt, and fear that's ever tried to grab a hold of his heart. Just one. What if I'm really not qualified to follow Jesus? What if I don't have what it takes? What if what if people won't really, you know, believe me if I'm talking about who All of that just crumbles. The entire rug of Peter's existence just was pulled out from underneath him in this moment. Can't help but think about many of us in the room who have moments like this in our lives. They're, they're dark moments. They're moments that we would just assume, ignore or forget. They're definitely not moments we would bring up in a religious setting like this. There are moments that we don't even think God wants us to talk about or know about or think about or have in our past. And so we've kept them kind of at a distance trying to cope with life because God would never want any of that, that lying, that cheating, that addiction, uh, that 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 brokenness in in, in any of our past. But I really believe with all my heart that Peter at this moment of absolute despair is exactly why Jesus came. Is it exactly why Jesus died? Just think about the human existence for a second. Like you exist and you want to have purpose, you want to have fulfillment, you want to have life. But what's the worst, like the lowest version of the human experience is to stop existing, is to stop living, to die. And I love Jesus so much because he wasn't afraid of the worst of the darkest of the most desperate places. He was actually willing to go there on our behalf. See, this is what we celebrate today is that God knew his son had to die. That's why he sent him was to die. In our place, to go to the very worst case scenario, the thing that you would be most afraid of, the thing that would most control your life, the thing that would most kind of keep you hidden and, and, and trying to pretend like your life is fine. That place is where Jesus wanted to go. That, that, that campfire that, that Peter is standing around becomes this moment of absolute failure that had the, tem- that had the potential to absolutely destroy his life. That's why Jesus came, was for those moments and those people, people like us, with a lot of darkness and a lot of pain, a lot of baggage. See, God loves us so much. He made us to be in relationship with him, but our sin separates us from him. So the only way for us to be back in relationship with God is to become perfect which none of us are. Bible is clear. Every single one of us falls short of that standard called perfection. And so God sends his son, Jesus, the perfect one, the holy one, to walk this life sinless and perfect. He was tempted in every way that you've been tempted, yet he remained without sin. Jesus actually became then a substitute for us. He was actually willing to take our sin on himself the bible says that he who knew no sin actually became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god right with god this is the good news of the easter story is that jesus came to substitute his perfection for all of our sin and our imperfection He doesn't just take the pretty little religious moments that you've accumulated for yourself as an attempt to please God. He takes the darkest, the worst, the most despairing places of your heart, your life, your existence. And he says, those are the reason that I came to demonstrate that even if it feels like the entire world has been pulled out from underneath you, I have not stopped loving you. I have not given up on you. I have not quit on you. Even in the darkest of moments, Jesus is there. That look between Jesus and Peter, or we could put all of our baggage into it and think it's a look of, of, of disappointment, of frustration, of anger, of how could you? But it wasn't. It was a look of love, acknowledgement. I see you. I think for you and I just to see how personal Easter became for Peter is so important. Because the story wasn't over yet. Jesus is eventually drug away, beaten, nailed on a cross, suffocates to death. Gives up his spirit, buried in a tomb. He's there for three days. And all the while, Peter and the disciples, have no idea what's going on. Jesus resurrects from the dead, demonstrating power over sin and death. People start kind of talking about it. There's all kinds of events happening. He's appearing to different disciples at different times. And they're still uncertain about what the future holds. Like, is this actually changing for us? What do we do with this? And so they do what any of us would do in moments of despair. He just goes back to what he knows. Peter was a fisherman. So he goes fishing. See, Jesus... He's so good. He knew that Peter was still struggling with the fire of his failure. So he wanted to finish the work that he began in Peter's life. And he did it in such a cool way. He made breakfast for Peter. Anybody love waffles in the room? (laughs) Like breakfast is so good. How special is this that Jesus would, he wouldn't go like on a world tour preaching this message of hope. It's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get this hope so deep inside of that broken dude that he can't help but talk about who I am and what I've done. See, the disciples were out fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. It's kind of a theme for them. Maybe that's why they quit fishing. I don't know. They're like, we're bad at it. We'll be your disciples. We'll do whatever you want us to do. But they're a couple hundred yards from shore and there's a smell of smoke in the air. And I'm certain that that smell just grabbed by the throat. Took him right back to just a few days ago when I failed Jesus. And they see at a distance, there's somebody on the shore standing around a fire. And he calls out to them, have you caught anything? Of course he would ask us this. No. Why don't you try the other side of the boat? I am so sure that they're just drawn right back to the moment when Jesus first met them on the shore of that same lake. And he invited them to go fishing. They had been up all night, had caught nothing. He said, let's go out fishing. (laughs) They obey finally. This miraculous catch comes in. I know that they're like, what? Okay, we'll throw our nets on the other side. They do. Miraculous catch again. About a hundred yards from shore. Peter just knows it's him. He grabs his cloak and throws it on, jumps into the water. Remember, this is the guy with the sword in the ear, right? He's like, I'm, it's him. I got, I gotta see him jumps in and begins swimming to shore. And You can just imagine every hopeless soul. You could just imagine the sense of like, what if, what if he would forgive me? What if he would bring me back? What if he wouldn't hold all of that against me? And as he's swimming to shore, there's this sense of like, God, would you, would you bring me back? As he climbs up on the shore, Jesus is making breakfast around the campfire. And there's this, exchange that is so personal Jesus again looks Peter in the eyes I'm sure he's expecting disappointment but all he sees is love I'm sure he's expecting and I told you so but in his eyes all he sees is acceptance acknowledgement I see you even at your worst even in your darkest moments I'm there And he just asked Peter a simple question. Do you love me? Not what are you going to do for me? How are you going to make it up to me? But do you love me? Peter responds with a simple answer. Lord, you know, oh, you know that I love you. Can imagine him almost wanting to go on. I am so sorry, God, for that, that, time around the fire, and they were all, I just, Jesus doesn't even allow it. Just feed my sheep. Then he asks him again a second time, do you love me? Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you. I just told you. Then feed my lambs. And then a third time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? almost defensively, like, what? I just, and then it hits him, I'm sure, three times. I denied even knowing Jesus. And here's the third time he's asking me, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. See the fire of failure. Jesus was there. Every one of your dark moments that you've tried to hide from or pretend like don't exist in your life or you've moved past and you just kind of tried to pretend like everything's fine. The places where you've maybe felt most hopeless or discouraged or despaired. These are exactly the places that Jesus wants to bring you to. Not to condemn you, but to heal you. See, the fire of failure now became the fire of Forgiveness for Peter. The smoke that used to be a stench of of his worst day now becomes a sweet aroma of healing and grace for Peter. What used to define him as his worst day now becomes this moment where Jesus enters in in forgiveness and reconciliation and healing. See, this is why the resurrection of Jesus is so powerful because he has the power to forgive you and I at our very worst, at our very lowest. And I love this picture because if Jesus is willing to go there, if he's willing to love Peter where he's at, he's willing to love you wherever you've been, with whatever you've done, however you've gone, his forgiveness isn't isn't too far away for you. His healing isn't some distant thought. Easter is not just some religious thing that we do. This is a moment of healing and reconciliation and transformation that our God wants to bring every single one of us to. He wants to get the hope of Easter so deep inside of you that it can't help but come out of you. This can't just be some concept of Jesus' resurrection that you know about. This actually has to be a life-changing, forgiving, healing moment for every single one of us to acknowledge, even at my worst, Jesus still loved me. While we were sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Hebrews 6 says it so well because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs, that's you, of what was promised, your promised salvation. He confirmed it with an oath, with a promise. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We, you and I, who have fled to take hold of this hope that was set before us may be greatly encouraged today, real life. You may have great courage fill your heart that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul that is firm and secure an anchor that keeps us tethered to the Savior of our souls, the one who will never disappoint, the carpet that will never be pulled out from underneath you, the hope that will never let you down, is our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he came, he died, and he rose from the dead to tell you that I love you, and I've forgiven you, and I've seen you at your worst, and still I receive you. Still, I love you. Still, I will heal you. I will change you. I will give you purpose. I will give you hope that will not disappoint. For us, this Easter is a moment for this to become personal. That like God's healing and his hope would just sink deep, deep within our hearts. Romans 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is is lord and you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved says that with your heart you believe and you are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved and the scripture says i love this anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame This is not a hope that will ever fade, never disappoint, never be pulled out from underneath you. A hope in Jesus' salvation is a hope that will last for all of eternity. And our desire is that every single one of you would be filled with that hope today. It's only found in Jesus. It's only found in his forgiveness, in his healing, in his sacrifice for every single one of you. So here's what I want to do. going to spell hope h is this that we're going to hold up our hand here this morning and we're just making a simple statement jesus you are my hope maybe it's the first time or it's the thousandth time you're just saying jesus you are my hope right now all over the place just holding your hand up saying jesus you are are my hope you are the rescuer of the soul you are the forgiveness that i need you are the healer of all my broken places you are the one that redeems my past jesus you are my hope the o is open your heart right now to his forgiveness for your life Just allow him to see you at your worst and love you still. Don't hide, don't pretend, don't keep it closed off. Just open your heart right now to his forgiveness. He's seen you there. He's heard what you've done. He's known about it from the beginning and yet he loves you. Open your heart to that forgiveness. I receive it, Jesus. Maybe you just need to close your eyes. I just receive that forgiveness right now. And the P is personally, Respond. Jesus asked Peter, and I hear him ask you today, do you love me? Just personally respond right now. Yes, Lord. I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your power over sin and death. Thank you, God, that you would give me freedom. Personally, just respond to his question right now. Do you love me? Lastly is this. Ye, everyone you know needs this hope. See, Jesus wanted to get this hope deep inside of Peter so he could get it through Peter to the rest of this dying world. The same is true for you. The more filled with hope you are, the more you can't stop talking about what God is doing in your life. As a church, we are a people on a mission. This is a time of hope. In a, in, a, in a history kind of period that we are in where hopelessness is winning in so many hearts, we are a people who rise up with a hope that will not be shaken. And we feel a commission from God to go to our city, to our workplaces, our schools with this hope deep inside of us, coming out of us to every interaction we have. We are a people of hope. God wants to get this message in you so he can get it through you to a world that is desperate for hope. Thanks again for tuning in to the Real Life Spokane podcast. We want to encourage you and help point you closer to Jesus. So be sure to visit our website or to reach out on that phone number. We love you, Real Life. See you next time.